0: I'm not sure that I have ever attended a funeral in my life during which the 23rd Psalm wasn't recited at some point. As recently as the last few months attending celebration of life ceremonies for departed family members who could at best be described as culturally Anglican, the familiar words get trotted out. And to my amazement, they are repeated from memory by aging cousins who haven't willingly set foot in a church since they were praying for King George VI out of the old prayer book. It is undoubtedly the most popular of the 150 Psalms. But the question for me is why. To my mind, there are others that are arguably more beautiful, like the 84th, for example. How lovely are thy dwellings, O Lord of hosts. Or the ones that express the intensity of our sadness, like the 130th, Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. Or the quiet confidence of the 139th, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. So why the 23rd? What is it about those six short verses that still seem to resonate with us so much? Well, part of the answer, I think, is the romance of the poetry. As over the last 200 years or so, our society has become more industrialized and detached from nature around us. There's something about its bucolic imagery that draws us back to a simpler, less complicated time when sheep could safely graze and shepherds piped a merry tune. But if poetry were all that mattered, surely we could turn to Shakespeare or Tennyson, whose eloquence far surpasses King David's humble offering. I think the reason that we keep coming back to the 23rd Psalm is because we desperately want it to be true. We want to believe that there is a supreme being out there who will indeed supply all of our wants so that we lack nothing. We want the tranquility that it promises to be real, that there is a chance that our souls, which too often are swept up in the hectic pace of daily life, might be restored. Those wants and desires and the need to believe in a God who still ultimately satisfies them, they're as old as humanity itself. And that's why the image of God as shepherd becomes central to the story of Israel. The prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel will portray God as a shepherd who defends the sheep against the false shepherds who use and abuse the flock while Isaiah offers us a picture of God as a shepherd who feeds us and protectively carries the lambs in his bosom. It's this tender image of God as the loving, nurturing, vigilant shepherd that somehow still speaks to many of us in the 21st century and has ultimately given Psalm 23 such a long life. Christians believe, however, that our God was not content just to offer divine consolation from the safety of some remote heavenly throne. That simply wasn't good enough for him. And so in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, God actually became one of the flock. The Lamb of God, wandering around with the other lambs and sheep through the valley of the shadow of death. In Christ, God experienced firsthand the very wants and hungers and needs and hopes that we all have. He personally felt our disappointments, rejections, illnesses, and the anxieties that constantly threaten our security and our happiness. Those shadows that loom over each and every one of us. Those dark valleys through which we all trudge at different times in our lives. In the incarnation of Jesus Christ, therefore, God transformed himself from a benign yet somewhat distant creator into our companion, a companion who understands the flock because he's part of it. Christ's experiences over 33 years among us They filled him with such keen understanding, with such overwhelming compassion. They they filled him with such a staggering desire to make life better for us that he, the Lamb of God, became the good shepherd who would give his life for the sheep. Lamb and shepherd. A mixed metaphor? Absolutely, it is. But it's an enlightening one. Because only the one who is a member of the flock and understands it so thoroughly, could ever care for us enough to guide us into those better pastures, even at the cost of his own life. He did this, of course, both by his example and by his teachings. My sheep hear my voice, he says to us today. I know them, and they follow me. His voice still speaks to us across the centuries, but his words do so much more than merely calm and refresh us, as King David's beautiful beautiful 23rd Psalm tries to do. Christ's words actually empower us. They challenge us to become shepherds in our own right, in whatever little corner of the world that we claim is ours. The good shepherd, therefore, is not just a piece of sentimental Christian imagery. He is actually a polarizing figure. Whether it is the world of politics or business or religion, the Good Shepherd stands as a foil to all of those who claim to lead the people entrusted to them, but are actually in it for themselves or for their little clique of supporters. The news of this past week was full of them. The migrant traffickers who abandoned desperate souls seeking a better life to let them drown in the Mediterranean. Politicians who were pandering to the worst instincts among their base to maintain their own support and power. Bishops who protected criminal priests rather than the children that they abused. The list went on and on of the false shepherds who abused the public trust by putting their own need for power and wealth above the needs of the ones that they were supposed to serve. But the good shepherd offers another way for us to become true shepherds. And to understand that, I think we have to revisit, however briefly, the end of last week's gospel. Now, you recall that last Sunday, Jesus had an uncomfortable little conversation with his unreliable friend, Simon Peter, in which he asked him three times, Peter, do you love me more than these? And only after Peter affirmed that love did Jesus instruct him to feed his lambs and his sheep. You see, Jesus knew that he was not going to be among them that much longer, and so he was trying to communicate to Simon Peter and to all of us who follow him what true leadership looks like by contrasting it with the way in which it is generally exercised in our world. And so he didn't ask, Simon Peter, will you be loyal to me? He didn't ask, Simon Peter, will you defend me? He didn't even ask, Simon Peter, will you raise the necessary funds to keep my movement going? No, as important as all of those things may be, he asked the truly crucial question, Do you love me? And he asked it because he knew that then as now, there would be other shepherds out there preaching to their flocks and their sheep would be hearing words of selfishness and exploitation, of greed and violence, prejudice and hate, a discordant, cacophonous noise so far removed from the sweet, gentle song of King David. And so, he, Jesus, will insist that the leadership of his flock can only be based on love. Not on a superabundance of confidence, and certainly not on the ability to manipulate people as we see so many false shepherds doing today. Jesus simply requires love. And isn't that what we do here at St. James? Do we not listen to the shepherd's loving voice and then respond in kind? Our Tuesday drop-in center, is it not a loving sheepfold where the most vulnerable souls who wander our downtown streets can feel safe for a few hours? Our nursing team tends to the wounded among us, whose dignity is so often denied elsewhere. Our pastoral visitors tend to those who can no longer come to this cathedral, but who still need to belong to the flock. Our educational work, both with children and with adults, helps everyone who wishes to hear the voice of the shepherd over all of the noise that's around us. That is love in action. That is what we are really here for, and that is what the shepherd's voice rightly calls us to do. This past week, the world lost one, one of its greatest shepherds. After more than 50 years of caring for those whom society had marginalized because of their intellectual challenges, the good shepherd summoned Jean Vanier home. Now, more than 30 years ago, my homiletics professor made us, his students, promise that we would never, ever, use Jean Vanier as an example in our sermons because he said he was just far too beyond the reach of ordinary human beings. I feel I must break that promise today because rereading the story of his life and career this week in the newspapers, I've come to realize that what Vanier did was simply listen to the shepherd's voice and then followed it. Well, if that truly is a radical idea that is beyond the reach of ordinary Christians, then we may as well just close up shop and leave town now. But I don't believe that it is. The world needs more faithful responses like his to the shepherd's voice of love if we are to turn this sad planet of ours around. And so my last words this morning belong to him. Vanier says this, Jesus reveals that he is the good shepherd. Although the word good is used in most translations, it doesn't capture the nuance of the original. In Greek, the word can be translated as noble, beautiful, perfect, precious, or even wonderful. So every time I use the familiar phrase good shepherd, please translate this as Wonderful Shepherd? Shepherding is about carrying those who are weak, lost, and in need. It is about presence, love, and support. Shepherds, he says, are needed as much today as they were in the time of Jesus. Why? To love people and to guide them to greater life. May we who hear the Shepherd's voice just as clearly as Vanier did, respond and become good shepherds to others ourselves. And may we always be grateful for those wonderful shepherds who do grace and ennoble our lives. Amen.